lights. It's seven Friday night. Welcome to the season one finale of Seven Friday Night. I'm Sports Stars Magazine editor Chase Bryson, and I'm proud to be kicking off this all NorCal team themed affair. That's right, listeners. It's been all NorCal football week at Sports Stars Magazine, and today we're tying it all in a bow to finish off our coverage of the 2021 football season. For those who've missed our coverage over the week, you can visit sportsstarsmag.com to read our stories on our NorCal Player of the Year, NorCal Offensive Player of the Year and NorCal Defensive Player of the Year. Plus, you can view capsules on all 54 players who made our elite collection of talent. With me to talk about all of this today is my season-long co-host, Ben Enos. Ben, it must be nice to just kick back now that the season is over and not have to worry about covering basketball, soccer, and wrestling, and everything else in the world. Are you enjoying life? Other sports are overrated. (laughs) No, no, no. We love all sports here at Sports Stars because we are sports stars. Well... Hello again, good people of podcast land. We're back by maybe not so popular demand or popular demand if you're our friends. As I often like to do, let me start by pulling back the curtain and telling you that once again, Chase has decided to pay attention to indoor sports, which has caused us to record this late at night. Little does he know that increases the chance that I'll say something stupid So that's the state of play inside Sports Stars MAG headquarters right now. We met last week to talk through these all NorCal teams, and while there was plenty of serious conversation, there was also plenty of nonsense traded back and forth. Were we to do that again this week, it would likely include talk of this past weekend's NFC playoff game at the building I'm now affectionately calling the Sun Bowl, or perhaps McCarthyville. Why would we be talking about what happened at Jerry's World, you ask? Because the third member of our crew when it came to picking all NorCal teams is Ike Dodson. Those in the SJS know him as the multi-talented writer and photographer who may or may not be considering restarting the California wrestler in his likeness. We know him as a Cowboys fan and the guy who invited us to his family fantasy football league only to have Chase finish first and me finish third. Ike, welcome back to the show. Man, now I know the real reason why I was invited. Is this the roast of Ike Dodson? I think it is. (laughs) You mess with the bull, you get the horns. (laughs) And he will wear horns from time to time. That's right. Yeah, I also had to put up a banner of uh, the 49ers um, in my uh, in my bedroom because I lost a bet with a Niner fan. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm looking forward to. Life is good. Well, good thing for you that uh, we're talking high school football today and not professional football. Yes. None of none of our players on the list have uh, have done a, a quarterback sneak with 14 seconds left. So that's why they made our list. So let's talk about how we go about our all NorCal process. Back in our newspaper days, we'd sit through some grueling selection meetings and agonize over who is first team, who is second team, and so on. When I started Sports Stars, I thought a unique take on our football honors would be to make it like we're building one actual football team. An average size high school roster is somewhere in the mid-50s, so that's where we start. Think of it sort of like a Pro Bowl roster. And when you consider that we're picking from all of NorCal, things get dicey pretty fast. But 
I've always liked it. And as a player, if I made this team, uh, I'd know it's legit. Right, Ben? That's right. It's uh, it's an important, you know, we, we take a lot of pride in our format, I think. And uh, I'll weigh in with my two cents on it because uh, I do believe it's one of a dying breed. It seems like, you know, 54 guys, I guess we cheated on an NFL roster size by one because <laughs> why not you get an extra specialist in there or something. Um, we, we go into the process of picking our team, not only from a pretty large coverage area, but we also narrow it down further than pretty much anyone these days. You know, don't get me wrong. There are clear misses on this list. Guys who are all NorCal caliber football players who didn't make the list. That's because we have a format. We stick to it. And we feel like that sets us apart a little bit. Now it all comes down to how you want to do it. Nobody's format is right. Nobody's is wrong. One list that I saw included between 250 and 260 names. Another had between 300 and 310. I mean, that's cool. Good, good for them for recognizing more good players. That's not what this is for us. And I think that's what makes our list unique. That's right. And it's also, it's interesting to see how each of us sort of arrived to sort of our locks, you know, different players that we thought had to be on the list. Sometimes it was the eye test for some and, um, Sometimes it's just stats you can't ignore or uh, seasons and moments. It, it seemed like it was an interesting collection of like all these sort of different season experience that really just narrowed down the elite of the elite. And that's why this list is so special. Yeah, that's, that's true. I was going to mention that too. There was definitely a lot of different things come into play when we, when we push for different players. And I mean, I know for a fact that we had one or two players on our team that didn't make a few other lists, even in their own region, just because we saw them and they stood out to us and and, that, and they were all NorCal, they were giving all NorCal effort in our eyes and that, that made a difference. And then what they did and when they did it, you know, we, uh, we definitely gave weight to some head-to-head matchups and we gave some weight to playoff performance. All of that goes into it. And I think that's, that's a good thing. The criteria should be diverse in, in that regard. So, yeah, these are subjective lists. There's no, you know, it, since the beginning of time and Chase can, can attest i think he was in the room there's a very famous um some guys who worked with me at the contra costa times back in the day can attest that there was one of these meetings where i made an impassioned plea that san ramon valley quarterback and future boise state quarterback joe southwick played at least one game at safety because that would qualify him for an all-purpose spot because he wasn't going to be the player of the year at quarterback and i felt so strongly I don't know if you know this about me, but I have strong opinions um, that, that he needed to be player of the year. And so uh, it was it was ridiculous. But that's kind of some of the thinking. It's, it's a subjective list, man. That's all there is to it. It's who we thought excelled this year. It doesn't do anything to, to uh, lessen the accomplishments of others. But these are the guys that we saw and we or like Ike said, we saw their numbers and we saw their performances and said, these are the guys that, that deserved recognition. That being said, I, I would take our 54 against pretty much anybody and anybody around. There's a couple of college teams we could take on, but I'm not going to name names. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ahead and start by actually getting to our award winners. And I would say that the longest conversation that we had definitely centered around the NorCal Player of the Year Award and naming Folsom quarterback Tyler Tremaine. QB1, as he was officially known on the pod for most of this season. Uh, it was a conversation that, about what we value most with this award, and I think value is being the key word there. This award 
for sports stars has always kind of shifted back and forth between strict player of the year where you're literally just the best player or more of a most valuable player type honor where you're the most important player to the best team. And I think we kind of landed on the ladder this year, but maybe one of you guys could just talk a little bit about that conversation that we had and how we kind of felt most strongly about Tyler when we finally got to that point. You know, as, as the person who, uh, you know, ended up writing the story on, on Tyler for, for NARCAL player of the year. Um, I think one thing that stood out the most was kind of like how you mentioned value in terms of value to the program, impact to the program, and considering everything that Folsom achieved, it's really hard to argue anyone who showed such clear value for Tyler to be gone during a stretch of games where Folsom went one and two, losing, you know, dropping a 54 game winning streak against league opponents and then against Rockland um, in a game where they just got blown out. And then after a win, then turning around and losing to Granite Bay, which you know, effectively dropped them to the number three seed. For then, then to Tyler come back and play like he did, even, you know, still nursing some stuff kind of early on and then just playing lights out uh, in a you know, game-winning moment against Jesuit and then uh, coming back to beat Rockland in the revenge game in the SGS finals. And then obviously contributing four touchdowns against De La Salle and essentially what could have been, you know, maybe a matchup of potential player of the year candidates in that one. Tyler Tremaine won that and um, went on to the state game. So I think uh, that individual performance really just, we talked about that a lot, that matchup the second time seeing De La Salle and ultimately impact to his program, I think is probably what carried the day. Yeah. To break this down, I really feel like I need to get into philosophy behind awards because a lot of what I thought about personally in choosing this award was what does, and Chase broke it down pretty well already, but what does player of the year mean? To me, football is a team sport. Team matters when you're talking about awards. And I'm probably going to say that a hundred times this episode. I know it's not the case for everybody, but it is for me. I say that to kind of demonstrate why I eventually came around to Tyler Tremaine as player of the year. And I didn't go into the meeting that way. Um, we saw what Folsom was without Tyler, like I just mentioned, and, and they weren't the best team in the region. When he was there, he was able to make the big plays that mattered to beat Jesuit, beat Rockland and beat De La Salle. To me, the guy that leads the charge in beating teams like that gets no argument about being on top of the mountain. I think he's more than worthy of that honor. And the more we talked about it, the more I was okay with it because I believe in that team aspect being a key factor when we're talking about awards in a team sport. Now that said, you know, I walked into that meeting, well, walked as relative since we do this on Zoom, <laughs> right? Um, and I will, I'll be upfront right away. Chase and I had talked about it earlier in that day. The best player, the best singular talent that I saw all year was Zeke Barry at De La Salle. I said that from the first few games I watched on film all the way through finally getting to see him in person in the NCS playoffs. No non-quarterback, I feel, did more for his team in terms of being a lockdown defender that teams avoided, a special teams playmaker that made a huge impact, and a versatile weapon on offense. I gave that whole rant about team success mattering earlier because when it comes down to it, Zeke is the best individual player I saw all year. And to me, we couldn't have gone wrong with him as player of the year either. He ended up defensive player of the year. He's been defensive player of the year on, on several lists. Chase, you saw Zeke play multiple times this year. What'd you think of De La Salle's uh, really, really good Swiss army knife? I felt the same way you did. I think with, if, if I was doing a pure talent evaluation, Zeke had the most that I saw in a single player. 
this season for sure. And it, I ended up writing the story on him for the defensive player of the year. And uh, he did more than I even knew. I mean, like when I, I, I was talking with De La Salco's Justin Allenbaugh about what he did for them this year. And I had no idea he actually played like nine positions. Like, you just, you just missed that as, as in, in the flow of the games, but he, he played five different positions on defense in a lot of games where they were just moving him around to wherever they wanted to create a matchup problem. And then on offense, he played another three to four positions. I mean, he, I don't, he never actually played quarterback, but he did throw five option passes and two or four touchdowns, uh, completed four of them for 200 yards. So I don't know what that's, that's like 48 yards per completion. So that's not bad. Clearly uh, a big, big talent. He's going to Michigan. So all that said, I ended up coming to the same conclusion that you did, that, that there, there is a, a value to what Tyler brought that wasn't quite the same as what Zeke brought to De La Salle. So I, I thought we were, I thought we were right in, in going with, with Tremaine in that respect. So uh, the other uh, honor that we handed out was Offensive Player of the Year. And that was a bit of a discussion, a little bit, as Ike brought the guns for uh, Mr. Nicholas Coronado of Kimball Tracy. Friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. Friend. And he, he put up a good fight. But he was outnumbered slightly. But uh, give us your thoughts on on uh, on young Nicholas, and then uh, and how we kind of steered you away from. <laughs> and we well, shouted I, you down in the. Yeah, <laughs> I think, I think that it was sort of like a you know two v one dodgeball. I, just wasn't <laughs> I wasn't able to pop up one and catch it, and I just got tagged out. But uh, um, I just thought with that kind of a sensational offensive season. You know, uh, we wrote the previews heading into the SJS semifinals and he was on a pace if he kept winning games. You know, if I think it wasn't Merced that came in and just had a dynamic game in the section um, uh, semis to where it seemed like he was on a pace where he could potentially, you know, be setting some records. Um, So to be on the cusp of a record setting season, um, to be just have such phenomenal numbers and done it against virtually everyone. Um, I think they struggled a little bit in the Central Catholic game, but if you look at games where they outdueled Oakdale, fantastic games with, uh, you know, Manteca and, uh, you know, another power, awesome quarterback and Weaver over at East Union. Here was a guy who just shined in big moments all year, was consistently great and had unmatched numbers. I mean, if he, uh, he, they may have passed the ball a whole lot and they did, but I just thought with the numbers that he put up, it's tough to argue at least for considering someone like that who could perform at that high of a level throughout this season in basically every game. When we started, uh, when we put together the full lists of all uh, NorCal, before we even got the list, Chase had a couple of names on the list that were just locks. Nicholas Coronado was one of those names that was already <laughs> on the list. So, um, but, you know, uh, like Chase said, we felt we had a strong opinion about uh, who the offensive player of the year was going to be. And it's Viliami Teo of St. Francis, just an absolute monster year, 2,200 yards on the ground almost 3,000 all-purpose yards, 27 touchdowns. I mean, when I started thinking about Offensive Player of the Year, I I don't know that I really went anywhere else in my mind. There were times that uh, Juju put the Lancers on his back and just simply carried them against the best teams in Northern California, against Sarah, against De La Salle. And for a team that successful, for a guy to make that big of an impact, that says something to me. And, And, 
you know, we did talk a little bit about the historic nature of St. Francis this season this year too. So that played into it a little bit, but man, just what a season for, for Juju. And he's staying close to home. He's going to San Jose state, which is awesome for Spartan fans and awesome for uh, Bay area football fans. That first game against Sarah, 45 carries, 344 yards. I mean, I think he might have sealed sealed the award on that day alone because that that was the game that was the hyped game of the season to that point and uh, and man did he take it over and literally like you said cr- pretty much carried St. Francis for for that entire contest so uh, so those were our three big awards we also did name a coach of the year and uh, Ben we ended up going with Ben's nomination so why don't you talk a little bit about Coach uh, Michael Peters. Yeah, when we started tossing names around a few weeks back, I asked Chase straight up if Michael Peters had ever won this award from Sports Stars, and he hadn't. And that's not a knock on years past because every single year there are great candidates for Coach of the Year. But I do want to take a minute and consider the body of work. Mac has made the state final each of the last five years and done so in five different divisions. We're pretty confident in saying they're the only school to do that. <laughs> uh, I looked this up. Um, the other day, Ed Data lists McClyman's enrollment at 357 kids for the 2020-2021 school year. Their roster typically hovers around about 30 players, if I'm not mistaken. So we're not talking about modern day here when it comes to numbers. This is not a reload situation every single year with plenty of talented guys. Chase and I actually both had the good fortune to see McClyman's this year. And man, they look like a good McClyman's team, physical, athletic, fast, strong. They had it all. But what you don't hear enough from folks like us is that they were well coached. They were, and they are, Mm -hmm. and they have been every year under coach Peters. Nobody can argue that this honor is deserved this season because they took it all the way and won another state bowl game. But I just felt, I felt really strongly that Coach Peters and his whole staff deserve that recognition because that kind of consistency among coaches is increasingly rare these days. So hats off to the staff at McClyman's. Congratulations to Coach Peters on another fantastic season. I just, I think the world of what they do at McClyman's as a program, I've said it multiple times on the pod. I really enjoy every time I get to go watch a football game there because they're just very welcoming people and it's a great atmosphere. So yeah, I, I that was my nomination, and I was happy that uh, that Coach Peters got the nod. Ike, did you have a if you were to put up a, a Sac Joaquin Coach of the Year honor, who would that have been this year? Yeah, so I was initially thinking, uh, you know, Vanden based on the season that they had. You know, obviously Argonaut did a lot this year as well, but ultimately, I think in the middle of our meeting, it was the same sort of impassioned plea that we heard from Ben regarding Coach Peters that was just like, like sold like it, it it just convinced us it was it made a lot of sense um and so ultimately um that was definitely what carried the day i'm going to answer your question chase it's paul doherty <laughs> paul doherty was the sack joaquin's actually coach of the year to me yeah uh, that, that was that was one a on my list because it was a historic season they fought through adversity and um and came out made it to the state title game so yeah, that, that absolutely would have been, you know, a, that would have made a lot of sense too. Totally. Agree. Ike did. Ike did talk about Paul Doherty. I don't want anyone to think that he didn't <laughs> he, like forgot about him. Ike did make the case. Yes, absolutely. Um, and we talked to him afterwards, obviously for the player of the year story, and he just has a ton of insight into not only 
the way his team functions and what sort of makes them succeed, but also into his players. Like um, just talking about Tyler Tremaine, like he could get into detail on what it's like to even just hang out with this guy um, and, and just some of the personality factors. And um, so it's good to kind of see that from a coach who's obviously looking so much beyond just football and just the field um, and just sort of understand um, his squad. And so I think that's probably what makes Paul Doherty a really good coach. Chase, any, any highlights of coaches for you? I, I've praised him earlier in, uh, this season, and that would have been Wilcox coach, uh, Paul Rosa. I think that he's building a juggernaut down there in Santa Clara, and it's it's been really impressive. And it's just – I said this to you before. I said this to you when I got back from from watching their, their win over Manteca in a NorCal final, is that you, you when you walk a sideline – you can get an impression really quickly about how well that program was run. You just get a sense of if, if, if everyone, all the assistants, all the players, if everyone's pulling at the same end of the rope, you just feel that. You, there's, a, there's a sense there that you know um, that, the, that there's a, a general direction that's being followed. You just, you just know you're kind of in the presence of, of a really good program, and that starts from the top down. And I've always just got a sense of that when I've been on Wilcox's sidelines. No one ever panics when they're down. He's a great play caller. I mean, uh, he's he's done some really good things there. They, they won the State Bowl in 2018, but they were playing. They were a host team in NorCal. They were one of the smaller divisions. So this is the first time they went down to the big stage, and they got behind early. I think they had like four turnovers in the first half and still were leading with two minutes to go in the game before – uh, Scripps Ranch retook the lead and uh, and got the W with about a minute and a half left. So really good season for for Paul Rosa and Wilcox, and and he would have definitely been one that I would have put up and maybe stumped for a little harder had you not thrown out um, Coach Peters. So I, I think he would have been ten on the top of my list as far as barrier coaches. I also felt the same way about Doherty that you did. I mean, you go into Owen Owens Field on a playoff night and come from fourteen points down and win. I think that automatically puts you in a coach of the year conversation. So yeah, he was there too, for sure. You mean doing something that no one's ever done before put you yeah. in the conversation? Yeah. Um, two things on Rosa real quick for me. One, I texted you, you were uh, doing something to, during the day when that game, that state game was on. And I texted you at halftime and I said, everything you've said about him is true, just based on watching his halftime interview, because they had done literally everything a football team could do to shoot itself in the foot <laughs> in the first half. But there was no like there was no panic. He wasn't yelling, screaming and carrying on at people. He was just like, we're going to do our thing. If we can do our thing and be who we are, we're going to get back in this game. And that was absolutely true. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is if anybody who's ever covered De La Salle for any amount of time gets, uh, gets called a De La Salle homer and that we pay more attention to De La Salle. But let me point something out about uh, this podcast. De La Salle, Jesuit, Monterey Trail, Wilcox, all teams that we've shown love to this year. Maybe we're not De La Salle homers. Maybe we just like the veer. <laughs> Maybe it's the veer offense. And now we're going to take a quick timeout for a quick message from Sports Stars Magazine's podcast partner, the California Army National Guard. We understand an upside down world, but they're writing us off before we get to the starting line. 
a stalled generation? Who do you think is going to fix all this? We will, because our future is the future. The next greatest generation is now. Visit NationalGuard.com to find out more. And now, back to the show. Now that we've talked about the uh, the big award winners, maybe we just talk about some of our thoughts on, on the team as a whole. Ben, you put together some pretty good uh, discussion topics for us. So why don't you kick us off? All right. Let me... Uh... I, I had some discretionary time this week, so I thought what would be some good questions uh, to enable us to break down the best players that we saw all year. So we have a couple of uh, questions in true seven Friday night fashion, uh, and I'm going to start. We'll go around the horn here. The biggest lock on the list for each of us. And not, Ike, let, let's say not that weren't award winners. Correct. Yeah, no award winners. Sorry. Uh, Ike, you can uh, kick us off. Who is the biggest lock on the list that was not an award winner for you? So does this include offense and defense? Anybody. Ooh. Okay, so so my biggest lock, I mean, I think you guys know because during our discussion, um, I demanded that uh, Chase let me share screens so I could bring up uh, you did. This, this, guy's, this guy's huddle and I literally played the Rocky theme song to it. Um, uh, it's because I feel really strongly about some of these guys that just passed the eye test. And then I do like sort of a follow-up test, like, cause before I say his name, like I watched somebody who absolutely dominated. I'm talking dominate an entire game where his presence was felt on every snap and he never took one of those off. Um, and even if it wasn't a play where he got a sack or a tackle for a loss or anything, he was literally pushing the play the complete opposite side of the field where a guy's running out of bounds on a four yard loss, you know, stuff like that. Um, make tackles uh, in the middle of the interior of the offensive line uh, coming in from the perimeter because he's so quick off the ball. And um, that was um, Peter V over at uh, Elk Grove. You know, here's a guy that not hugely heralded with, in terms of recruitment opportunities and, um, and stuff like that and accolades. Uh, he, I don't think he was um, very high on many lists, kind of like what Chase talked about a little bit with some guys that weren't highly recognized. But I watched this guy play and he dominated an entire game and was just absolutely phenomenal at, at basically every point. And I thought this kid's just sensational and talked to him afterwards. And he ends the year with some strong numbers. He had 10 sacks, which is a lot of guys on our list that are, you know, rushing, you know, sort of pass rushing type guys have around that number. Um, and then just watching, you know, some of his highlight reels throughout the year just seemed to be consistent um, where it wasn't just that one game. It was like, he was legitimately had a fantastic season from what I could tell. Um, and I watched as much of his highlights as I could just to kind of verify that this wasn't just a one game wonder where, um, this, you know, maybe snaps a pill from Limitless or whatever, and it's just Bradley Cooper for a moment. But uh, uh, no, he was just fantastic all year. So he came to this, and he was my lock, even though he wasn't high on a lot of other lists. It was like, and there was other players on his team, other defensive players that were awesome and highly recognized. Um, but he was my he was my guy, kind of. It was like, this is the guy we got to get on. Like he passed the eye test for me. He lived up to it all year long from what I could see. And so despite what everyone else is saying, this is a guy I think that we should have um, based on what I know. And you guys were absolutely open to that. When one of us brings an opinion like that, and like we've, we've all watched enough football that that carries a lot of weight. Although I will say that I, I'm probably the Bradley Cooper of this podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> That makes a chase out Zach Galifianakis, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Chase, who was the biggest lock on the list for you? I'll give you uh, one from from uh, each each region for Bay Area, I think the the lock the, the biggest lock that I had that wasn't a normal one would, would have been Jerry and Dickey. 
the Valley Christian uh, San Jose wide receiver. I saw him early in the year against Pittsburgh and he just, he just pops. You just, it's impossible to not know where he is on the field at all times. And it's one of those players that just draws your attention immediately. Big, athletic, fast. And uh, he had huge numbers to, uh, to back it up too, obviously Um, over 1300 receiving yards, 19 uh, touchdown catches, 23 total TDs. So he scored in the return game. You know, he, he did pretty, I know he punted for them too. So he might be this team's punter because we didn't name an official punter. Maybe we talked about um, Red Catholic quarterback Michael Ingrassi right. might punt for us too. So anyways, that'd be my Bay Area guy. Uh, Sack Joaquin guy that I that I felt was a lock. I didn't think I'd have to fight too hard. Was And that was Thor. Uh, Blake Nicholson yeah. of Manteca. He led the state in touchdown scored. So I figured we were going to have to find a spot for him regardless. But he was, I mean, he was really good. When I saw him against Wilcox, ran for over 300 yards in that playoff game. And uh, I think all three of their scores as well. So, and he didn't play in a pushover league, as you know, we, we flew the Valley Oak league flag quite a lot this year. So those, those two would be my, my locks among the non-award winners. Two juniors for you. Yes. Two guys coming back next year. Looking forward to that. Um, well, this isn't going to come as a galloping shock to anybody uh, who's listened to the pod, but the biggest lock for me outside of the award winners was Justin Gwynn of San Marin. I am so, so, so glad I got a chance to see him in person on the last night of the season because I'd heard so many good things and I was able to see with my own eyes what an impact he had on both sides of the ball. You know, we see the big rushing numbers and that stands out on a page, but I had no idea how good a rover linebacker safety type guy he was. He never comes out of the game. Um, So Justin Gwynn, just so impressive. I will say that it does appear that some late season accounting on max preps has moved Luther Glenn into the top spot for rushing yardage among NorCal runners. Oh, really? Yes. Controversy. Uh, But, uh, (laughs) but I I saw Gwen with my own two eyes in person this year. I did see Glenn on TV. Um, And so that's the dude that, that I'm rolling with for sure. You have to pronounce it that way. You're darn right, I do. Uh, That's all you'll hear now, Ike, from here on out. (laughs) Next question we got. If we were doing a fantasy draft, who would you draft first? Chase, you're up first. If you're going for for stats, man, you got to go for the touchdown leader is Blake Nicholson. I think I would probably take Thor number one. I'd be hard pressed not to. That's that's like that would be like seeing uh, having the number one pick and, and not taking Derrick Henry at this point. So, so you're bucking I, current fantasy trends and you're taking the running back in the first round. He was only injured one game this year. He's durable. Bucking trends. <laughs> no, the first round is it can be receivers. It these can days. Be. See, this yeah. is, this is why you didn't have a good fantasy team. Really <laughs> I was third. You were really lucky. All right. Okay. Everyone else's guys got COVID and they were injured. And you just happen to have the healthiest team. I will say that my first place team was carried by two wide receivers and a quarterback. So that's true. Ike, if you wanted to turn around your your floundering fantasy team this year, who (laughs) would you have taken? I mean, well, I wouldn't be doing stuff like taking, you know, like Robert Woods and Russell Wilson and like basically every single flop that happened this year that we were certain would be great. But I did have Robert Woods. So I think the key thing is in the NFL, you know that basically every quarterback is going to be like relatively fantasy special in terms of points scored. So the strategy is to like 
hold your QB picks for later on. Like if you pick Patrick Mahomes first in any league this year, you likely didn't win your league because you had to get him in the first round or very early second round. And that value just wasn't there in terms of where his fantasy points were. Now for high school football, it's different because the difference between the number one quarterback, like say Nicholas Coronado, okay. <laughs> and the number, you know, 10 quarterback or even 20 or whatever, before you get on you go. Um, it's just, it's astronomical in terms of <laughs> touchdowns, yards, completions. So we're going like a PPR league and uh, maybe like say a quarter point for completions. I'm thinking Coronado is going to win me the league. And wow. I'm just going to take quarterback first overall and win the whole entire league. Because while you guys are in the second round trying to scoop up all these well-named known running backs, I'm going to snoop up uh, uh, Curran Borders from Antelope mm-hmm. and just take the, take the mm-hmm. ship. So, this, is a good, this is a good strategy. I like this. the PPR league, I might want to change my pick to Jake Calcagno. <laughs> I am no stealing my thunder here. This is a PPR league. That is my answer to uh, the you question. You're with the rules at the end? I love it. <laughs> Because Ike's League was a PPR league. I'm playing PPR. Jake Calcagno is the guy. Fourth fourth in the state among reported stats with 91 catches, 20 touchdowns, 1,400 yards. That is first-round fantasy material right there. But let me throw you a curveball also. Remember, Coach Edson's league has individual defenders. (laughs) That's true. So if we were ever so privileged to join that league, hint, hint. I might add Jordan Wagner of Lincoln, who had 113 tackles, 16 and a half tackles for loss, five and a half sacks, two interceptions, and he housed one. Serious points right there. Housed a big one. See? A playoff winner. Yeah. There you go. That should count for more. It, yeah, yeah, it does. A playoff win. It's like an extra one point at least. All right. Just to double down on your praise of Jake Calcagno, he did actually win the NorCal Triple Crown for receiving categories 91 catches 1456 yards and 20 touchdowns they were all they were all unmatched in, in all of norcal that's wow that's something not a fluke anytime a you fluke. can say triple crown you're uh that's a solid good. Mi- middle of the first round pick for sure <laughs> <laughs> if you're not picking coronado number one overall you're really just playing for second best. Mike is so motivated. He's so motivated to win this league. I think we're gonna make this league happen next year. We're gonna okay. we'll, we'll build we'll build a, a formula for it. All right. Uh, next question here. Guy on the list we thought was the most surprising this year. Uh, Ike already gave us a, a guy that maybe wasn't on a bunch of lists um, from the SJS. I'll, I'll lead off this time. For me, it has to be Sergio Beltran from Menlo. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you want to talk about Coronado stats. Anyone who placed a wager that he would set a CCS record with 52 touchdown passes, well, I'd like to hit the racetrack with you. <laughs> uh, 4,700 total yards between passing and rushing for Menlo School and recognition as Cal High Sports Small School Player of the Year. I mean, maybe my small school radar isn't as sharp as, sh- as it should be, but he wasn't on my radar to start the year, and it's it's clear that he should have been. So uh, honorable mention here to Mr. Coronado, who because uh, Kimball is a relatively new school, and I will admit I didn't know a ton about it before the year. So uh, honorable mention to, to him. But, yeah, Sergio Beltran for me. Uh, Ike, who you got? Well, I just want to say that because of the COVID-shortened season, that really – there's an incredible amount of people that could fit into this category because we didn't get a true sort of preview of the year. So building everything in like 
our rankings coming into the year, um, teams we chose to spotlight. A lot of that was a guessing game because we didn't really know who was going to bring what to a table, who thrived during uh, COVID, during lockdowns, because some teams just frankly did. They just had um, opportunities to, and that was a little bit harder for other programs and maybe in different, even geographical areas where stuff like that wasn't quite as easy. Um, so I think a lot of people shined, but I think one for me was the one I mentioned in terms of a late round fantasy pick, which is uh, uh, Curran Borders over at Antelope, because this was a guy who wasn't making huge waves coming into the year um, and exploded uh, because of the situation he was put in, some excellent coaching. And Antelope in general was pretty much kind of uh, seen as this major threat until basically they came in and stole a high seed in the playoffs and um, ended up falling, I believe it was to Central Catholic in the semis. And so I would probably go with with uh, with Antelope and, and Curran in terms of someone who wasn't on anyone's lips at all whatsoever coming into the year and then just had a fantastic season. I would start my answer with a team, and that was Vanden. I had no idea Vanden was going to do what it did. And we had two guys, or three guys from Vanden on this list. Um, we had uh, Orion Knoll, uh, who had 16 sacks for the Vikings as, as, a, as our one of our defensive linemen. We had their place kicker, Diego Nunez-Smith, who made the state the state championship winning extra point um, after another uh, defensive back for us, Jemai East, had scored the uh, tying touchdown with about, uh, I don't know, 90 seconds left in the game. And so all three of those are surprising to me because I didn't see Vanden coming out of anywhere. Of the three, Jemai East was pretty, pretty amazing. I mean, he had... Both touchdown catches in that game, plus two picks, including one that sealed it after he scored the touchdown that tied it and eventually won it. So, uh, yeah, props to Vanden as a whole because I know it was a it was a tough year for them having lost a player during the spring season um, to to gun violence, and uh, they rallied this year and and uh, it was uh, it was impressive, really impressive what they did. And worth noting that Trey Dimes was talked about a lot during our meeting in terms he of was potential uh, quarterback selection as well so they came really close to having four guys on that team he did and he's a junior so he might put himself on next year's list for sure all right here's the question that is going to take the most time (laughs) we're gonna let ike go first because he has a strong opinion here guy we would have liked to see on the list that didn't make it yeah so i'll try not to take too much of the time uh i've left the podcast but um, just enough to cross, uh, you know, one of the world's tallest bridges, um, leading its way to Forest Hill High School, um, home of the wildfires, where a young man by the name of uh, Eamon Aldrich happened to have one of the best prep seasons, um, probably in the uh, Foothills region in history, and is erroneously excluded <laughs> from our list after 11 interceptions. Uh, 712 receiving yards with eight touchdowns. The guy threw a touchdown pass. He was electric. Now, his competition, this is going to be why he ultimately didn't make it to the list because he didn't have the opportunity to play the kind of schedule that a lot of our other players did. So it's tough to compare a lot of those games to what that say would have done um, in other scenarios. But I think that kind of individual performance, that season-long performance that he delivered uh, – was enough for me to make for he, me stump for him quite a bit, but um, I was just one little stump in a forest full of nose. So uh, <laughs> a that, forest, uh, a forest hill full forest of nose, hill full of nose, oh. and no wildfire could save me. Oh, oh wow! 
Forestry Regeneration RS. Yeah. <laughs> Forestry well, tips over here at Sports well, Podcast. While we do talk about Eamon Aldrich, we, we would uh, also mention in the same breath Michael Whaley from Hercules, who also had 11 interceptions this year. So shout out to both those guys for their season. Chase, who you got? I liked what Garrett McGriff did a lot for Jesuit this year. Um, and I liked uh, Darian uh, Leon Guerrero at Vacaville. I thought he um, was a huge part of that team's success. Um, and I would have liked to have got him mentioned. Uh, someone that I didn't see in person, I'm probably going to steal yours because I know we talked about him. But he had some uh, just tremendous stats. And it was really hard to ignore them uh, when we were trying to figure out where everyone should slot. But that's Salisi Moala of Tennyson Hayward. Mm-hmm. Uh, over 1,400 uh, yards rushing, 23 rushing touchdowns, two touchdown catches. And then on defense, 104 tackles, 14 for loss, five and a half sacks, three block kicks. Come on. Five, five fumble recoveries, two forced fumbles for wow. a team that was 10 and one and were league champs. That's, that's, uh, I don't know. I like the uh, self. This is a self-incrimination period here. We, <laughs> like, we, we bring we these names that up. <laughs> yeah. And then we feel stupid. Yeah. Cause we didn't name them. Anyway, well, well done, Salisi. All the other guys on the, there's so many other guys in that list with, also yeah. amazing resumes yeah. so it's not that we're saying these guys aren't deserving we're just saying that like so many guys were yep yeah no uh moala definitely a candidate for this for me for sure um but i'm i'm actually gonna i'm gonna take on our format a little bit and maybe use it as a cop-out we named four quarterbacks in all of northern california and the guy that i pushed for in the meeting to try and find some creative way to get him on was Ray John Spears of Sacred Heart Cathedral. He had a hell of a year. And Sacred Heart Cathedral had a heck of a year. He led the Fighting Irish to their first state bowl title. He was the heart and soul of that offense. And I, I thought finding him a spot would have been nice, and I said so in our meeting. Another guy is Matt McLeod of Menlo Atherton. You know, he had a tremendous year, tons and tons of statistics, a bunch of accolades, and uh, – they're all the publications that have given him accolades after the, the season, that's really well-deserved because they had a tremendous year. But I brought up the format point because I think quarterback is the position that our format really puts us under a crunch with. You know, I wouldn't take any of the guys that we selected off the list, but I would have liked to honor both those guys uh, that I mentioned. Um, a couple other names that came to mind. Strangely, I saw James Logan three times this year after not having seen them in person for several years. Khalid Robinson was fantastic as a two-way guy. Um, So I I just wanted to mention him. Chase, how can we not mention TJ? I mean, TJ, we got to mention TJ. TJ Costello of Dublin. Uh, We only named two tight ends. So it was hard to see where he would fit based again on format. But uh, if we had more room, he would have been a guy. And then uh, Nathan Berger at San Marin, I could throw his name out. He was a DPOY in the MCAL. But I also I want to wrap it up with someone that I ranted on behalf of earlier this year. And I didn't feel super right, like forcefully pushing him because it's my alma mater. But Robert Freeman might not be the tallest dude in the room. He's a football player. I'm glad the Barry News Group made him a second team DB because he deserved it. He is a good football player. So I wanted to give him a shout out. Excellent. So there, there's, you know, you guys were constrained. You picked one or two guys. I picked the whole Bay Area. In that 
Um, so, uh, moving on. Name an underclassman. Either Last one. Last one. Looking forward. Here we go. Either one we picked or one that we didn't that we are most looking forward to watching next year. Chase, who is it for you? Well, I could go with some of the obvious juniors that we've already talked about um, in, in Thor or, uh, or Jerry and Dickey, but I would like to see Sacramento High play next year. That's who I'd like to see. I want to see the Radcliffe brothers. We're all nodding at each other right now because I think we all were <laughs> going to say the Radcliffes. Yeah, <laughs> Lamar and Corey, man. I want to see those kids. I want to see them play for sure. Uh, we definitely mentioned both of them at certain points during the meeting, but we also understood that they were sophomores and we're probably going to be on the list the next next two years. So, Ike. That's great. Yeah, no, um, I definitely would have mentioned Lamar. I mean, especially Lamar, considering you can't get, you know, over 2,000 yards in 11 games as a sophomore and not be someone that everyone's looking forward to uh, oh, going right. into next season. But for me, number one on my list was probably going to be uh, Central Catholic quarterback, Tyler Wentworth. Um, I thought uh, having a chance to see him play, I thought this is a, a poised dude with great size, good mobility, He's got that like Tom Brady like scramble away from the 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 center. No, not just just kidding on that. Uh, uh, wow, but, but I'm basically on what Tom Brady thinks he runs like. Okay, <laughs> no, Tyler is a good runner, um, and uh, I just thought he played extremely poised uh, throughout the year. Once given that opportunity, and had a fantastic season. And I think that um, he's going to be one to watch. This is a sophomore who was starting for one of the most premier programs in the Stanislaus County. So I think. Uh, we can expect huge things from Tyler Wentworth going forward, just considering his size and attributes and, um, and how much we love quarterbacks. Uh, Chase, you left the board open for my answer. You absolutely would have bet every dollar you had on what I'm going to say here. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to finish my last comments of this season right back where we started this dang thing at the beginning of the year. I'm giving you the dynamic duo. It's Jaden Rashada and Rashid Williams. There you go. Nobody's going to argue how good Rashada was this year. And I had wished, I wish I'd gotten to see him at full strength. Uh, you had to have some pretty crazy numbers or win a state title to get on the all NorCal quarterback list this year. But the dude's already got endorsements, man. The, the, <laughs> the hype train is going to be real next year. <laughs> and Pittsburgh has never shied away from a good hype train. Uh, I, I will say the Pirates need to find some linemen block for him next year but he's going to have several fantastic receivers to choose from next year. Uh, and his running said, back comes back too. And Charles Brown is back. So a lot of talent. Like I said, the question is the line there. Um, but if they can fit, if they can figure that out, they're going to be really, really good. I said this in our meeting and I'm going to say it publicly of all the big time playmakers I saw at receiver this year. And I didn't see Jerry and Dickey in person. And ironically you saw him against Pittsburgh. So it's going to make this, uh, point even crazier if i had my choice i would take rasheed williams he has athleticism the hands the skills everything literally everything you want in a game-breaking receiver he's also just a good dude to talk to both those guys are they're good dudes to talk to fun guys good good personalities um so yeah Jaden and rasheed i'm looking forward to seeing them run it back next year that whole pittsburgh team they're gonna be really good so we have one last special guest for this season finale. Someone we mention in every pod at the very end. It's my brother-in-law and the man behind the music of Seven Friday Night. It's Dustin Phillips. Dustin, welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem, man. So you've actually uh, you've actually scored both 
of the podcast that Sports Stars uh, does because you're the only person I know who um, uh, could do it. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Chase, we have established my musical bona fides on this show already this year. <laughs> the guy who has to hold a mic up with his finger while he talks about this. I mean, it's a fair technique. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously, I definitely appreciate you uh, doing what you've done for both of our podcasts. And remember, I uh, you had already done the one for Sports Stories. I came mm-hmm. to you uh, for some Friday night and I said I wanted this one to be, I don't even, what was, what was the words I used? Like, funky, but not poppy uh, like that yeah a little more upbeat i guess yes. i think i remember is what you said right yeah so which i pretend like i know what that means but yeah for sure. <laughs> you sent us this one like this was literally the one that we use is literally the first one that you you tried um and it was uh it was a winner right away man was there any uh key to your success on that no, no. Um, <laughs> I uh, came up with a random drum beat on this little tinkery machine that I used. And then uh, once I kind of finalized that and thought that's pretty good, I just kind of went to work. Um, I don't own a guitar. I only own basses and synthesizers and stuff. So the only thing you hear on that uh, intro is uh, a drum machine and uh, two different bass tracks. One pitched up a little higher with some fuzz on it to sound more like a guitar and then just a funky bass. But yeah, I just kind of dug into it and, and tried to get it done as fast as I could, but I think it turned out pretty good. We put it, we kind of put you on a tight timeline. Oh, <laughs> we? You're like, what do you need to, oh, four, three or four days? That's the best way it works, so it's totally no big deal. Right on. Well, we've been, uh, we've been shouting out, uh, obviously, the cover band Popular Demand. Hmm. um at the end which we appreciate by the way i showed them the first episode when it released and they were like what he's doing that i'm like yeah man you know you just gotta know people man are you uh (laughs) we have a massive listener base too i'm sure it helps a lot are you or your is is popular demand or any of your other bands getting any any wiggle room as far as uh things start to open up of course now they're starting to close down again but (laughs) yeah unfortunately i mean we, we did play a few in the last couple of months we played a couple of weddings um that were able to happen and um you know through the safety and all that kind of stuff masking and social distancing they they allowed those to happen but like you said um it's all kind of shutting down again so we do have some stuff on the books right now but it's not until late next you know well this year but late you know september november of uh, so we'll be able to pump it up the, when we start season two of seven friday night absolutely yep i will uh i will get you that info once we get it figured out right on i was just telling ike uh maybe you could actually tell it more specifically but i was telling ike that uh uh, he asked if you were really uh any relation to lou diamond uh phillips and i said no not that i was aware of but Hmm. you are a relative of johnny cash uh yeah um i used to lead off my dates with that information so um <laughs> so um i'm trying to remember this right because i'm sure i'm gonna get it wrong and and there'll be one guy that listens and is like that's a lie but um my um on my i think it's on my mother's side my great 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 aunt or something her last name was cash before her her uh, marriage and so a family member of ours a couple of years ago well, probably more than that but looked back through it and they did find a lineage between Johnny Cash and her and, and us and it's you know minute you know we're making like 0.2 pennies on the royalties but you know it's it's better than nothing <laughs> cool. at this point 
All right. Well, we're going to wrap this thing up. I'm going to give a, uh, a quick read. At that point, we'll let you play us out. Um, and uh, you can play us out as live as you can from your, from your abode. Oh, yeah. I'll give it a shot. So first and foremost, we want to thank Ike for dropping by uh, in this finale, as well as Dustin and all of our other guests from the season, which would make this farewell way too long to list them individually. Though certainly Coach Terry Edson deserves special mention as our weekly guest. And for me personally, I'll thank my co-host Ben for obliging me in getting this band back together and putting up with my whims and not always on time scheduling. Thanks, buddy. This was a blast. We build seven Friday night using Anchor, but the show is available on several platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. If you listen to shows on one of those platforms, search for seven Friday night, the number seven Friday night, and please rate and subscribe. Each of our episodes also get their own dedicated page on Sports Stars Magazine's web home of sportsstarsmag.com. You can stream the episode there, find links to the various other platforms, and check out a variety of other links and bonus items we sometimes include. Also, follow the show on Twitter at, at SportsStarsPods. That's also where news will be coming out about season two of our other podcast, Sports Stories, which will begin in February. You should also be following SportsStars Magazine on Twitter at, at SportsStarsMag. Our cover art features photography and design by yours truly. Our theme music, as you learned in this episode, was produced by Dustin Phillips. He performs in multiple bands in the Sacramento area, including an awesome cover band called Popular Demand. Uh, yeah, and he's going to play us off here shortly, but I wanted to give Ben and Ike a quick chance to say some final thoughts. Uh, we did our tearful goodbyes last time, so no need to get morose on everyone. But uh, congrats to everyone who made this list. All NorCal's a big deal. Uh, it will always be a big deal. Uh, I am super thankful to have seen enough football this year uh, for the first time in almost a decade where I felt like I made an informed decision and uh, contributed to this endeavor. Um, so uh, happy for that. And congrats to the guys who made the list. Thanks again to Chase for putting this thing on and putting up with my really, really great sense of humor. Um, and I'll leave everyone with some good news. Good news, everyone. Season two has been picked up by fubo tv or, or something like that so we'll be back whether you want us or not maybe i'll turn my attention to some indoor sports for now but come on major league baseball figure it out we need you anyway thanks for a great season ike take us out yeah i think uh um just one of my one of the things i wanted to say is just that i think this list um and a lot of you see a lot of what you hear and, and see on this uh, podcast are just the result of the excitement from this group to be back to covering prep football. Um, as much as, you know, a lot of coaches and players really, you know, were hurting um, the previous year, um, you know, so are we to be back out there and covering games. We, I, I'm pretty sure most of us saw as many games as we possibly could. Um, and it was just really exciting to see um, all the great stories that developed throughout the year and, and definitely delivered. I mean, this was a very awesome, exciting year of football with so many amazing storylines. And we were so fortunate to cover them uh, and represent a lot of those with this list. So that's all. Just thank, thanks all the coaches and players out there uh, who did everything they could to, to keep that program going and strong through lockdowns, through not being able to practice, through a lot of hardship. A lot of schools had a lot of hardship with uh, coaches and alumni passing. So we just appreciate everything that those teams do and um, happy to share some of those stories with all, all of our readers and listeners. I think that that's well put, Ike. I mean, nobody could say that it was a down year for NorCal football, that's for sure. And it was a blast to cover it, both in uh, online and, and on this podcast. 
And, you know, we've said a ton of thank yous. Probably the biggest thank you goes out to anyone who listened this year. We built a decent, uh, a decent group um, of listeners. And, and I'm, I hope you'll all come back for season two and tell a friend along the way. So thanks again, everybody, for putting up with us for 23 episodes and, and almost five months. We'll, we'll see you soon. Adios. Peace. Go ahead, Dustin. Give us what you got. Play Stairway to Freebird. <laughs> what uh, our listeners didn't see, you're just three other boxes of heads bobbing during the whole time. So. <laughs> well, if I can make three heads bob, that's better than none. <laughs> <laughs>